Hey, this is a Hakawari production. My guest today is a double threat. He's a rock star and he also has a pretty cool day job. He's the drummer in the popular Lebanese indie band Mashru Leila, but he's also a trained architect who just launched his own architecture studio last March. As a musician, he's been featured on the cover of Rolling Stone and GQ magazines in the Middle East. But he's also been featured on the covers of architecture magazines, including Architectural Digest Middle East. He's a great all-around guy, and we're so lucky he's joining us from Paris today. Please welcome Carl Jetges. Hi, Carl. It's great to have you with us. Hello. How are you? Good, good. How's Paris these days? Very good. It's a bit rainy, but uh, it's, it's, a, it's good for a change. Yeah, it's nice when it's been kind of hot. Is it uh, quiet? Quiet. I mean, uh, no, you know, like I think people got used to living with COVID. So like bars and restaurants are full. Um, people are taking their precautions, but I think they're living normally, almost normally. It's so weird how different things are happening in different cities. Because I know New York, for instance, is like a ghost town right now. And then Montreal, where I'm from, um, about to lock down again for several weeks. All the restaurants are going to shut down. It's really weird. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, like even in Paris, I think restaurants are closing early. But I think we got used to this this uh, rhythm. Yeah. So as long as bars are you know filled with people at six uh, p.m. or seven p.m., it's it's an achievement. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, early birds. So, you are a rare example of someone who's quite successful in two completely different careers. You are a drummer in a band that's pretty famous all over the world, and you just opened your own architecture practice, and it seems that's going pretty well based on the attention that you're getting from the media. Do you think that your success as a musician, the fact that you're kind of well-known and you know, you, your name is out there and your face has made it easier for you to transition into architecture, um, having your own firm, I mean. And then if you were, let's say, a lawyer or a doctor who decided to have this second career. <laughs> I, I, I uh, Thank you. <laughs> uh, I think that the, the two careers work hand in hand. There are two fields that are intertwined in a way. And I've always did architecture. I mean, this is how I met the guys. This is how we started the band. We met in architecture and design school in the UB. And um, I never really stopped being an architect. So it was quite natural to launch my own studio. I, I was just waiting for the right moment. And it never came, actually. I was waiting for the past five years for the right moment. And I was still postponing the like official launch of my my studio and then covid happened and actually i i don't know how i got like a lot of press on this villa that i did uh, back in 2017 and i just decided to launch my studio it just happened and of course like being in a band helped me uh, in a way because i have lo- a lot of contacts and i've been traveling all around the world so it's pretty uh, inspiring to meet a lot of people and even like creatively it's been very uh, it's been a uh, creative journey a long creative journey so by the way that villa looks really cool it's uh, your house right thank you no oh it's not <laughs> i wish it was my house <laughs> no no it's a, it's for a client i designed it back in in 2017 actually it's a, it's a very long story because back in the days i wasn't 
uh, really uh, planning on re- on launching my own studio. So I agreed to sign an NDA with this client who really wanted to stay anonymous and he didn't really want to reveal the location of the house or he didn't want any photos taken. So I agreed and signed the NDA and a couple of years later when the villa was done, uh, it was really like it was as I imagined it. So I really wanted to to um, showcase it, to show it to to the world. So I create, I produced uh, photo reel renders and those are like the images that I'm sharing uh, online and that got me like a lot of uh, press, etc. What kind of images are those? It's not like a regular photo shoot? No, they are like they're computer simulated. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. Renders. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, so you don't actually have even the the images, like real images. No, I'm not. I'm not allowed. (laughs) So whose house is it? Take pictures. I can't. I can't (laughs) say. It's the whole point of the. the, I know. Like, yeah. I (laughs) I thought maybe you'd change your mind and break the silence. Yeah. No, I I can't. I can't say, and I can't. I can't say the, the exact location and. Yeah, it's sad, but I mean, at, at least I have the the renders. Well, anyways, it looks really cool. It's a beautiful house, so obviously Thank you. Thank you. Um, you're good at at architecture and uh, interiors as well. So I can see what you mean that the creativity that you pour into your music kind of uh, spills into that aspect of your of your work. But what is it like being a rock star? Because I mean, so you're an architect, but then when you're on stage and you have like thousands of fans screaming for you, like that's a whole different life for you, right? Or a whole different personality. Yes, I mean, it's fun to, you know, to juggle between the two uh, personas. You know, an architect is supposed to be uh, serious and and like the opposite of a rock star, I guess, like because I have to deal with clients, like with real, real clients and they have their concerns and I have to really know them. Uh, well, as when I'm on stage, I'm like playing a role almost, you know, I'm on the drums, I'm just uh, performing. And it's fun to juggle between the two uh, because it gets toxic, you know, being on tour all the time, uh, you forget, like you, you forget about being in touch with, with like real people and with, you know what I mean? When, when, when you're on tour, you, you like you, you, every two days you're in a new city you have different uh, um, different audiences, different stages. I don't even remember, like, everything is really blurred in my mind. So architecture, like, enables me to be bo- more grounded in a way. Yeah, but see, that's the thing. I don't think most people can relate to that rock star lifestyle where you're traveling all the time, you do not really don't have a home base. Um, it must kind of change your mindset in some ways so i imagine it would be great to have this like um other outlet for you that would balance you because that's probably why a lot of rock stars end up being a little you know uh unbalanced depressed actually (laughs) yeah i mean it must be lonely (laughs) also yeah you know it's very difficult it was tough for me to to get used to this lifestyle because you know when you when you tour usually you go uh, for a month straight and then you come back to to Beirut or what, wherever your home hometown is, and then you spend a month at home. You know, it, the the class is really huge between the adrenaline the adrenaline rush that you have during touring and concerts and interviews, and it's like every hour you have something planned. And when you're back in your in Beirut, you're just sitting at home. This contrast gets really uh, it's very tough to handle it, hmm. and. 
it gets a bit depressing, I have to say. So thank God, like, I, it's important to have another passion that you can use, you know, to get out of this state. And this is what I do with architecture. And even when I'm like writing music and I reach a dead end, I just switch to architecture and try to get inspired and then come back to music. You know, it's like really uh, back and forth, a lot of back and forth between the two the two fields. Yeah, because so when you're touring and performing, I imagine you get so much attention that it it kind of feeds into your ego and to your self-confidence. And then when it all goes away, then you, you maybe the silence kind of causes you to question, you know, what are those people giving you out all that attention for? And then if that's not there, what's left? I mean, are these some of the things that go through your head? Yes. And like we've been doing this for the last 10 years. So in a way, we, you know, we all know how to handle it. We all get depressed together. <laughs> yeah. So we, like when you talk to each other two, three days after a tour, we're all like on Netflix just eating and drinking and just, you know, we, we know how to handle it. We know that we have five days of transition between uh, touring and uh, normal life. But yeah, it's the hype, it's the being on stage, it's the audience, most of, like the, the, the attention that you're getting 24-7 that completely disappears when you get back home. But do you get recognized? Like, are you at that level? You know, Mashru Leila is really well known um, in many parts of the world, but it's still kind of an indie band. Do you get recognized when you go out in the street or when you go out to bars and stuff? I mean, yes, it happens, of course. It's always a bit uh, awkward, but it happens regularly, I guess. And it also depends on the city. I mean, if we're in San Diego, it won't happen. But in, like, in the big cities in Paris, London, New York, LA, San Francisco... Uh, we have a like large fan base in these cities. Five years ago, in the Arab world, like in Egypt and Jordan, etc., when we were allowed to play there, uh, it was really, really intense. Like we couldn't walk on the streets. So it must be weird. Also, like, do do people, do your fans, like, try to date you and stuff? Like, they follow you around or try to befriend you. I mean, is is that what happens? I would think it would be weird and scary. I mean, no, it's not scary. It's it's it was fun at the beginning. Then it gets a bit, uh, you know, uh, intrusive, especially. Uh, you know, when they come to the, our hotels and we started giving fake names in the hotels in Egypt because, like, fans were literally hanging out in the lobby and we, you know, when, you, when you're hanging out in the hotel, you just, you're in your pajamas almost, you're just chilling. So you don't really want to be, uh, not bothered, but like, you don't want to take selfies and photos while you're just waking up, you mm -hmm. know what I mean? Yeah. So, yeah. I, you have to do your makeup. <laughs> no, but I mean, you know, in the morning, I'm not, I, I'm, I'm, I wake up very early. I'm a morning person, but I don't really like to talk to people when I wake up. I like to do, like, to do my workout or like to run or to swim and then to have breakfast and then I'm ready to face the world again. Okay. Well, now we know that about you. Nobody call him <laughs> before, what, noon, something like that? No, no, no. I wake up very early, like at 6, at 8 a.m. I'm, I'm good to go. Oh, okay. That's super early. <laughs> so <laughs> so you guys just did this amazing fundraising concert um, for victims of the Beirut explosion uh, with Mika, who's quite a popular artist in the UK. How did you guys manage to do that with this whole COVID situation? I mean, we've been operating like this for a year almost because 
we had our problem before COVID. We had problems with the band and two members had, had to leave Beirut and they were living in New York. So we got used to working on FaceTime, on Skype, on Zoom, you name it. So, um, yeah, Mika approached us. He wanted to to uh, have us uh, perform in the fundraiser that he organized, the I Love Beirut concert. And we really got excited. And we did, didn't really think about, you know, the the limitations. I mean, me and Firas were living in Ashafiye. We didn't have a, a house. It got both our houses got completely destroyed because of the explosion. So we just, you know, went on board with the concert and figured how to make things work later. I mean, I I worked on the song on my laptop at my parents' house uh, during the night because because during the day I had um, reconstruction happening in my apartment, so I had to stay on site. It was a really really stressful <laughs> phase actually. But I think we managed to to create something um, nice, and we raised almost actually more than a million euros. So it's really it's pretty amazing. Yeah, that is amazing. Is it still like? Can people still watch it online? Yes, actually, the concert really did the the, the tour of the whole world. It was like it was streamed live, but then it got streamed in Japan, in China, like in Asia, then in Australia, in the States, in Canada, and now it's like. Uh, going on the on French TV so tonight on France 2 I think it's also uh, showing oh cool so yeah yeah but so you can't just watch it for free like on YouTube not yet not yet like the whole point of this is to get uh, funding for Beirut you know so at some point I guess we will release it on YouTube but I, I think it's too it's too early yeah definitely if you're still monetizing that's great yeah yeah like we're getting a lot of you know like people wanting to support so it's it's great. It's great. I mean, and it's also keeping kind of the conversation going because it seems like it's kind of fading into the background. And obviously so many homes have not been rebuilt. So many people still don't have a place to stay. There's so much still that needs to be fixed. So that's great. I love the the name of your band, by the way. Um, Mashru means project, right? Yeah. Did I say that right? Mashru? Yes, Mashrua. 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 And Leila can either be a girl's name or it can mean one night. So it's either a one night project or Leila's project, which actually, now yes. that I'm saying it out loud, it's so, it kind of reminds me of like one night stand. Exactly. <laughs> I don't know why. You but got it right. <laughs> is that what it is? Actually, like when we started the band, we didn't, it wasn't meant to last uh, that long. It was supposed to only be one night, a one night stand. Hmm. And we were supposed to perform in the UB for one concert. So we, we had to find a name last minute and we came up with Mashua Leile. And then when the concert happened, we like we realized that we wanted to push it further and we saw that we already had like people, you know, like people appreciating our music. So we changed the name to Mashua Leila. We thought that Leila is, you know, it's a beautiful Arabic name used a lot in literature and poetry so yeah we thought it was nice to play on words it's beautiful it's a beautiful name hard for people like me to pronounce but it's really beautiful <laughs> and it's kind of funny it's kind of like that girl that you go out with and have a one night stand and then you end up getting married exactly and a lot of people thought you know Leila was this mysterious woman like an ex or something or our muse but it wasn't really like it's a just a name a night it was just for a night yeah Cool. So how involved are you in the band besides being the drummer? A lot of times people assume that the drummer is kind of 
just kind of like the guy that keeps the rhythm going, you know? Do, do you write a lot of the music? Uh, yes. I, I, actually, it's the way we operate. Usually we, we each try to compose, you know, the whole song almost. And um, uh, with time, you know, I, I, I learned how to play the piano when I was really young. And then I switched to drums and then, then back to piano. So I did also a lot of instruments. And I can play, you know, basic uh, chords on guitars and I can play the bass and keyboard. So, you know, with time you try to, to when you want to convey a musical idea, you can't just uh, play the drums and convince them that you have a great idea. So you need to add uh, layers of instruments and chords and melodies, etc. So, yes, I compose a lot with the band and I also work a lot on, on visuals and on stage design. Mm-hmm. Um, because like, I, I love, you know, when you, when you're on stage, I love the way we interact with lighting and screens and the, the, especially because we sing in Arabic and we're touring in Europe and in the States, it's important that we also bring something else, you know, to our show because people don't necessarily speak Arabic. They don't speak the language. So you, you need to add layers to the performance to, to, you know, for them to, be entertained be able to to exactly not just entertain but you know get in the mood of of the songs and get in our our universe yeah that makes sense yeah so this visual aspect is really important and i love you know i love working on it also so you mentioned earlier that two of the members are in new york now they couldn't stay in beirut so hamid and uh, haig mazbut right Yes, What's the reason that they had to leave Beirut? I I know that you guys have faced quite a lot of controversy. Um, you released an al- your fourth album last year in 2019, The Beirut School, right? Yeah. And um, you were not allowed to do your show in Egypt. Uh, and then you had problems at the uh, Biblos International Festival in Lebanon, which is a huge deal. And it's your own country, a country where there are 50 percent of the the population is Christian. And, you know, because people think, OK, Egypt, it's a Muslim country. Maybe they're more conservative. And then, you know, you were banned from do- doing the Biblos Festival. What happened there and and why are two of the members not living in their own country? Actually, it's a lot more complicated that. Than it than that. I, I don't. I, I don't think it. Uh, religion uh, plays a role here. It's m- much. It's a problem that is deeper than that. I'll, I'll get to it in a bit. And Hamid and Haig left before we got all those problems for just for personal reasons. They they weren't really happy in Beirut and they just wanted to move to New York. It was a pure coincidence that we got, you know, all these problems in Lebanon. They were already uh, living in New York, so they didn't really flee the country. But I admit that now it's a bit more difficult for them to want to come back because like the situation is really uh, difficult and because of the problems that we, we, we had in Biblos. And the problems that, that we had, unfortunately, in our own country uh, are really like, I don't know how, how to explain it actually because it was very hard for us to deal with this. It all started with fake accusations and fake news and fake stuff. Okay, so how did it get started? I know there was something about a Virgin Mary post. Yeah, the, the Virgin Mary post was an article that a professor did in Harvard in 2015 about, you know, Madonna in Italian means uh, Madonna, the Virgin. So there, there was this analogy between the icons and the, like, the pop icons and the icon, the church icons. 
So it was an interesting uh, article that Hamid shared online uh, in 2015. And four years later, someone digged in in the archives. And Hamid removed, had removed this article from, from Facebook in 2015 when we got banned uh, from Jordan. So there were people like digging in our past and going through like literally all our interviews and just editing stuff in and out, uh, uh, like modifying the image, uh, doing like montages on Photoshop, like literally sometimes taking our faces and put, putting them on icons, on church icons. We literally ha had no nothing to do with everything that was uh, circulating. And it happened so uh, fast and so aggressively and we were portrayed as the enemies of the religion and like Satanists. And it even got to the, reach a point where we were uh, Israeli spies. And we still get phone calls today uh, from Amnelam, like they're still investigating the fact that we're Israeli spies. Oh my gosh. So it's really like, so like literally everything is got so ridiculous and so um, out of hand. So I, I don't really like to talk about this phase because um, we literally couldn't do anything about it. We were just, um, how do you say? Yeah, uh, you were at the mercy of, of what was happening. You were in the, at the center of the storm. Exactly, exactly, mm -hmm. exactly. Like we were overwhelmed with the eye of the storm. messages, with, with death threats. I literally received hundreds of death threats on my personal phone, on the, my WhatsApp, of people sending me picture, pictures of guns and of wow. them in videos them in videos like shaking and literally saying that uh we're we're devil worshippers and we're, we're we have to be hunted down etc so it was a really uh, very tough uh, very tough period for me it was a, a year and a half like last summer actually and since then since then it was really back uh, downhill you know in, in lebanon we had this we had the fires we had uh, the, the the economical crisis we had covid we had the explosion so we didn't have a, a great year. Yeah, yeah. It's been a really tough year. But for everyone around the world, I know it's like a cursed year. It's really... Well, yours was started in 2019. So, um, But you say it's not religious. But, I mean, in the end, it was really... It, it was a religious, uh, you know... It, I mean, mm -hmm. religion was used as a facade to create this, uh, like, pro 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 propaganda. But it was a lot more uh, complicated. It was... Very polit extremely political. It had. It, yeah, I don't know. I don't. Want, I can't. Like, I don't want to go back into the details. But it was really like political and very unfair and very uh, corrupt. And yeah, sh we, we, shocking that there would yeah, be anything corrupt in in Lebanon. Really, I'm, I'm shocked. <laughs> but but, but yeah, I, I, we were so close. We were like literally seeing the corruption and the lies. Yeah. And and. We were really close to this, and we got arrested, and we got beaten up, and we got oh my like gosh. we literally had we had the worst two weeks of our lives, and be, and it was out of control, and the fake news were just keeping coming, yeah, like they were just keeping circulating on WhatsApp, on 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 Instagram, on Facebook. People were li literally uh, being super creative with what they were posting, and they were, they were accusing us of. Anything, like everything, actually. We, we yeah. received a lot of lawsuits, people just uh, like uh, accusing us of of uh, blasphemy, accusing us of devil worshipping, accusing us of uh, 
uh, encouraging youth to do drugs and and alcohol and and being Israeli spies and being mm. uh, and they even accused us to organ like we organized this whole revolution. And what was really funny that I was on we were on tour in the states and we started receiving pictures of bearded four bearded guys in Beirut on the scooters and they thought they were saying it was us you know, uh, burning tires and stuff. And we were literally in New York uh, performing at the Met. So That's hilarious. Kind yeah, of, it was, it was, in, a, in a sad it way. Sad. <laughs> <laughs> but, but again, it's like, um, I think, because we didn't mention that in Egypt, you were banned. The, your, um, your, the singer in the band uh, is, is an openly gay man. He came out gay. So is that kind of what uh, caused all the initial kind of... Um, problems to arise like when you first started when he first came out and do you think then that all these things that happened afterwards were as a result of people who wanted to shut you down mainly because of that no i, I it may be a factor it's not an important factor i think we represent it's what we represent that is the main problem we represent freedom of speech we represent uh like we we talk about a lot of taboos that aren't really allowed to be spoken of in the in their area in the region and i guess this is the main problem and what happened in egypt is that we performed in front of 35,000 people and i guess the government there were wasn't expecting that we had such a, a huge following and that people loved knew our lyrics actually and loved our music there they were were literally singing all the songs throughout the whole concert so I think it's what we represent more than Hamid's sexuality, I guess. Yeah, well, it's the whole thing, I guess. It just goes against every value that religious uh, organizations try to propagate. So I, I think it still goes back to the religious thing, because, you know, you're talking about places where countries where it's, uh, the country where the but the, right. yeah. like basic rights. Yeah, but this it's has not... to do with religion also. You're talking about countries where the, the religious system has so much power that they can, you know, get the police to come and, and interview you and, you know, affect like if you're allowed to perform or not. Because, you know, in the West, for example, they're so they feel so strongly about equal rights and the right, uh, the freedom of expression, that they've separated the, the religious and, and legislative parts of their societies so that clerics would never have a say in whether a band can perform. I mean, the, the band would have to be really, really, really like blasphemous to not be allowed to perform in the U.S., right? Like, I mean, it would have to be like, they'd have to like murder someone on stage. Yes, yes, of course. We're very far from that. But I, I think the only time that religious people stopped us was in Lebanon, the, like in Egypt, it was the authorities in Jordan, it was the 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 tourism, uh, uh, Ministry of Tourism. It wasn't really religious uh, groups. No, they they're not groups, but you of, feel like you feel like they're kind of uh, intertwined, like it's part of their the society and part of the country. Maybe. I don't know. I like I, I don't I, I don't know. I don't really I, really I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. It's very complicated. Yeah, it is complicated. I'm not sure either. But from my perspective, when, you know, having grown up in the West, like you don't see these yeah. things. And when you look at a society, from my perspective, you see that all these values like that are like this Ministry of Tourism, the Ministry of Tourism should only care about tourism and they should be happy to have you. I mean, they'd be so yeah. lucky to have yeah. your band playing in, in their country. There's not that much else to do. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I guess you're right. <laughs> Except for the, I, I think, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. Well, anyways, I, know. I know you've talked Nothing about makes sense anymore. No, but and I know you've talked about this so much, and that you kind of tired of harping on it, and you want to move forward. So I totally respect that. Um, so my next question is a lot more personal. You're obviously super creative, which already kind of sets you apart from, you know, most people don't make their lives about their creativity. But also most men and most people, in fact, in this part of the world feel the need to have like a normal career, get married, have a family, and then they'll have fulfilled their higher purpose. And then there are a few people like you who seem to be pursuing their higher purpose first and then that's really the focus of their life would you say that that kind of like how how do you approach your life i <laughs> it's a very tough question because i don't really think of, i don't see it that way i i guess i have a, every day i wake up with a drive to create to to you know to to create stuff um so this is why i guess i became an architect to begin with because since i was a child i i i love to to you know to draw and to paint and to build you know those small uh, models and egos etc so this is why i wanted to become an architect and and i guess like i don't know it's i've never thought about it really i mean i see my friends getting married and you know having the not the i don't know if it's a typical path um I don't know. I don't know. And especially now, now this year have, has been very, uh, have been very lost this year. It's been very difficult to plan ahead and to take any uh, life changing decision. So uh, I don't know how to answer this question, honestly. Yeah, maybe that's just my my opinion because I've also seen you in yoga classes. Maybe that influenced my my thinking because not you're really good at yoga. I've seen you do really? it, <laughs> which is thank you. Yeah, not a lot of guys are good at yoga. Um, I I love yoga personally because I especially if it's like kind of challenging and fast paced yoga. Um, I've never gotten into like the slow, stretchy, breathy stuff. So I know a lot of people don't like it because it's like that. But classes like the one I've seen you at that are kind of keep you, you know, on your toes the whole time are kind of cool. But I love it because I feel that it keeps like my, it keeps me fit, but it also clears yeah. your mind and helps you focus, um, which is really important, I imagine, when you're performing. But as a creative person, to be able to concentrate on something that you're not showing up at a job. You have to motivate yourself to do it and to focus on and create your own focus and goal. I don't know if you know what I mean. You're not giving, being yes. given tasks. You're completely right. And in a way, it helps me also um, having a routine, you know, because of I don't, I don't have a regular lifestyle. So I travel a lot. Uh, I go to, through different time zones and I switch between music and, art and architecture. So I need to have something that's a bit... Uh, stable and grounding so uh, yoga does this you know it's it brings a rhythm to, to to your life in a way and it's a good good break i guess uh, that we take it's an hour and a half of like just breathing and focusing and doing those uh, um, movements how often do you do it i try to do it often i usually try to at least do one activity per day so it's either 
running or swimming or yoga or gym or it depends also on the country you know if i if it's like in paris if it's raining i love running under the rain so i, I go running in the morning and when it's too hot i like just staying in you know just going to the gym or doing yoga indoors and if i have ac- access to a pool it's perfect i go swimming it, it really depends on the circumstances but when i'm in beirut i do like everything every day <laughs> every also all those activities like i try to to stay active because there are so many things that 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 bring you down in beirut you need to find something that makes you happy i guess yeah i totally get you with that so you know they have like naked yoga in some of these big cities would you ever try that I never tried it, but I would maybe. Why not? You would. Could be interesting. Like I'm open to, <laughs> I'm open to new experiences. Yes, why not? It depends also where it is and who's going. You know, it's and the number of people also. <laughs> yeah, I see. I, any guy in in the Middle East would be like, yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah, it could be fun. You know. Yeah, I guess. Like I do, I do, I do a lot of uh, sauna uh, naked. Mm-hmm. So like. I don't know what, <laughs> why we're talking about naked. Do you have a sauna I, in your I, house? No, no, no. Like at the club, we usually uh, go inside naked. Okay. So it's not something like not something very uh, new. It's something very nude. <laughs> 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 yeah. So great. Well, I think we we really got to know you a lot better today. And uh, thank yes, you so, yes. so much for for agreeing to talk with us. What what are you working on next? Um, actually, I'm I'm in Paris. I'm just trying to take a break uh, from everything, and we're also working on this track that we uh, released with Mika in Beirut, the uh, Promised Land, where we are working on the recordings and on the mix, etc. And we might uh, release it soon because it got a lot of uh, positive feedback and a lot of people shared it already and listened to it already so we got a lot of requests to really properly release it so we're working on this and i'm just like enjoying the city and the sky you know because like in beirut it's been two months we've only we've only um so like you know skies that were burning or dust dusty or polluted yeah. And just having a sky that's clear is already like a blessing, I guess. Yeah, I can see that. Also, just to have like normalcy, normal money, normal people going about their business. You know, it's funny. Yesterday, there was uh, jets flying, I think, a bit low over Paris. Yeah, I saw that. And there was a sonic boom, right? There was a sonic boom. And (laughs) I was with a friend at home and we literally jumped from... From the couch, we, we thought it was an explosion, and Ugh. and then we just we just uh, like took a step back and realized that it's just like a sonic boom. And people started messaging us on WhatsApp, you know, like especially Lebanese people, like there was an explosion in Paris. Are you alright? It's a reflex we, yeah. we developed. Post-traumatic stress, definitely. It's like a Pavlovian reflex for Lebanese people. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. It's funny. <laughs> it's funny how we can be like triggered. Yeah, by a loud, loud noise. So I can't wait to see the video. Are you guys going to wear those amazing costumes, the capes again? You had some nice capes during the concert. I saw that were uh, that were created by uh, Caroline Lang, an amazing designer based in uh, Beirut. 
Are you guys going to wear those for the video? I think so. I guess so. I hope so. Because the capes are in Beirut and we're each in a different uh, continent, literally. So I don't know how uh, we're going to uh, organize the whole thing. But yeah. yes, because I, I think like a lot, the story behind those capes is that we, uh, Karine wanted to pay a tribute to the uh, vitro, the glass, the stained glass of uh, the Cerso Palace that literally got uh, shattered. Yeah, so Fa- it it's a like famous a- museum. We just to say it, that's a famous house in Beirut that served as a museum. It's one of the most beautiful houses and a lovely museum in the city. There's a cute cafe there. It's one of my favorite places to go or was my favorite. And sadly, as you pointed out, mm-hmm. it was destroyed really badly during the explosion. And then shortly thereafter, the owner of the property passed away, correct? Yes, exactly. And in a way, it was... It represents also, you know, all the architectural uh, heritage of Beirut. Like it's one of the most beautiful uh, landmarks of the city that like it really got heavily damaged. So, yeah, it was a tribute to to the architecture, to Lady Cochrane who passed away and to our city. Yeah, well, I love everything you're doing, love what you do and what um, you guys stand for. So keep up the great work. And best Thank of luck. Thank you so much. Best of luck. Thank you. Okay. Are you back in Beirut? Yes. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. So I guess I'll see you when I, I, I get back. Inshallah, as Joe Biden would say. Perfect. <laughs> 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 All right, Carl. Have a good one. Thank you so much for being here today with us. If you enjoyed the podcast, please be sure to click that subscribe button so you'll know when our new episodes come out. And be sure to follow us on social media. Lots of love. Hope to see you again soon.